Have you ever noticed the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Some of you may know me from my career in the distilled spirits industry as the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana. An industry, as I see it, more than just a little influenced by the occult and the work of opening doors and capturing essences. Here, you'll see another side of what I do and how I'm influenced by such experiences. Here, myself and occasionally friends will share first-hand accounts, stories shared with us, for tea and news, interviews, and a healthy dose of history and speculation. Settle in for the ride and enjoy. Perhaps that movement you saw out of the corner of your eye was more than just a shadow. Perhaps that weight on your shoulder, a bit more than fatigue. I've lived my whole life like this. Perceptive of those things that might be viewed by the less aware amongst us as simple circumstances, magic thinking, or even make-believe. Anticipating with the many ups and downs of my own perception, I have anxiously awaited the more positive of those experiences, dreading those of a darker caliber. I believe from societal observation in recent years that others are becoming acutely aware of the currently scientifically unmeasurable world that surrounds us. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. Join us as we take a hard left into the heath and the heather. Join us as we call out into the void, as the veil frays at the edges, and recall, if you have ghosts, you have everything. Today on If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything, The Trickster. What exactly is The Trickster? Known in one form or the other across cultures and time, and recognized in modern psychology as a Jungian archetype, representing the irrational, the chaotic, and the unpredictable side of human thought and behavior. From the mundane to the divine, The Trickster is most often presented as a catalyst of change, neither wholly good nor entirely evil, both God and the devil, sacred and profane. The trickster often introduces unanticipated challenges in pursuit of either humor, ego, or in an effort to teach a lesson, or to help one overcome something. Sometimes presented as adversarial or a negative entity, as in, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was in convincing man that he didn't exist. Many older gods and demons are presented as trickster spirits. For example, in Mesopotamia, Inanna or Ishtar, presented as a goddess of love and war. The concepts themselves, polar opposites. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, she falls in love with the hero, who subsequently berates her for her bewildering sexuality, as well as her habit of chaotically falling in and out of love. She chooses to punish Gilgamesh with the Bull of Heaven, leading to the death of the wild proto-man and his best friend Enkaidu, a metaphor for the wild humanity that we once were. Her actions subsequently lead Gilgamesh on his failed search for immortality. Many Native American traditions held the clown and tricksters as essential to contact with the sacred. The people could not pray until they had laughed, because laughter opens and free one's soul from rigid preconception. 
Humans had to have tricksters within the most sacred of ceremonies, for the fear that they'd forget that the sacred comes through those things that are upsetting, the reversal of plans, and surprise. The trickster in most native traditions is essential to creation, birth, and rebirth. Frequently, the trickster exhibits gender and form variabilities. In Norse mythology, for example, the mischief maker Loki is also a shapeshifter. He exhibits form and sex variability, in one case even becoming pregnant, transforming himself into a mare who later gives birth to Odin's eight-legged horse. In many Native American and First Nation mythologies, the coyote spirit stole fire from the gods like Prometheus. According to the crow, Old Man Coyote impersonates the creator. Old Man Coyote took up a handful of mud, and out of it he made people. He also bestowed names on many of the creatures of the earth. Old Man Coyote is an impersonation of the creator. Old Man Coyote may be a mythic substitute to the religious notion of the Great Spirit. Coyote appears in various mythic traditions, always with the same magical powers of transformation, resurrection, and medicine. He's engaged in changing the ways of rivers, creating new landscapes, and getting sacred things for people. More often than not, Coyote is a trickster, but he's always different. In many stories, he's a noble trickster, while in others, he's more malicious. The alchemist, Periclesius, classified gnomes and sylphs, the fey folk as elementals, meaning magical entities who personify a particular force of nature and exert powers over those forces. Folklore accounts have described fairies as spirits of the air. Traditions about brownies in England, for example, are generally similar across the various parts of Great Britain. They're said to inhabit homes and farms. They only work at night and perform the necessary housework and various farm tasks while the human residents of the home are asleep. The presence of a brownie is believed to ensure household prosperity and the human residents of the home are expected to leave offerings for the brownie, such as a bowl of cream or porridge, or a small cake, or even alcohol. These are usually left on the hearth. The brownie will punish household servants who are lazy or slovenly by pinching them while they sleep, by breaking or upsetting objects around the house, or causing other general mischief. Sometimes they're said to create noise at night or leave messes simply for their own amusement. In 1703, John Brand wrote in his description of Shetland that not above 40 or 50 years ago, every family had a brownie, or an evil spirit, so-called, which served them, to which they gave a sacrifice for this service. As when they churned their milk, they took a part thereof, and sprinkled every corner of the house with it, for the brownie's use. Likewise, when they brewed, they had a stone which they called a brownie stain, wherein there was a little hole into which they poured some wort for a sacrifice to the brownie. They also had some stacks of corn, which they called brownie stacks, which though they were not bound with straw ropes or in any way fenced as other stacks used to be, yet the greatest storm of wind was not able to blow away straw off them. The distressed in Ireland that the leprechaun, though some may call it a fairy, is clearly to be distinguished from the good people of the fairy mounds. The leprechaun is thought to only engage in pranks on the level of mischief and requiring special caution, as they can trick one into causing harm to themselves or to others. Islamic mysticism gives us the concept of the jinn. There are many legends regarding the jinn. 
They're masters of illusion, wielders of surprising supernatural powers, and beings beyond both good and evil. Born of smokeless flame, the Jinn use their illusions to trick those who ask for their help. In ancient times, people didn't just worship and revere the Jinn, they absolutely feared them. The legends of old speak of how the Jinn were feared for not being kind towards humans. The Jinn never proved too eager to help humans or fulfill their wishes. And this is why people in the stories had to find ways to compel the Jinn into fulfilling their wishes. They used magic formulas to conjure the Jinn and to force them into servitude and obedience. It was only under these circumstances that the Jinn would help humans and grant their wishes. However, in case anyone lost control over the conjured Jinn, the consequences proved to be terrifying. The same thing happened when the wording of the request was vague and left the Jinn with room for interpretation to use against the human. Similar concepts are seen in some of the magical grimoires of the Dark Ages, and ceremonies for calling down angels are calling to the four principal demons. The trickster ultimately seems to be a culmination of many possibilities. Either the ultimate spiritual catalyst, a mischievous spirit tied to a local place or landmark, and sometimes, just sometimes, a fear eater, an entity that is entirely reliant on its existence based off of your fear until such a time that you make the necessary changes. This is Alan Bishop, head alchemist of Spirits of French Lick, and host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. With fall just around the corner, and the crisp air begging for bonfires, friends, and ghost stories, be sure to pick up a bottle of our Bottled and Bond Solomon Scott Rye Whiskey, made from a unique mash bill of 60% rye, 35% corn, and 5% victory malt. We double pot distill this rye for retention and concentration of flavor. Always non-chill filtered and matured in full-size 53-gallon New American Oak Number 2 Char Medium Toast Barrels a full five years. Named after the legendary proprietor of the Daisy Spring Mill Distillery in Lawrence County, Indiana. Remember, respect the grain and always drink responsibly. Hey guys, intro out of the way. Welcome to episode number two of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything with your host, Alan Bishop, the Alchemist of the Black Forest. And uh, today we've got a, uh, a guest host with us, uh, somebody very special that I thought I'd have to maybe want to bring in uh, to do this particular episode because this person lived the experience that you're about to hear with me and can definitely add to the contextualization of it. Um, so with that being said, here's my wife, Kimberly Marie Bishop. This is her first time on a podcast, I think. Yes, sir, it is. Wow, she called me yes, sir, but it was very quiet. I don't know if you caught that or not. So uh, before we get started, before we get into the main subject of the show today, uh, tell us a little bit about you and who you are and what you do and your uh, your interest in the paranormal and the supernatural and all that sort of stuff. Well, as you said, I'm your wife now of, we've been married for seven years. We've been together for right at 17 years. It's a long time. Right? Ugh. Um. We have a beautiful little girl together, seven years old, um, Penny Marie, 
and um, she's she's a pistol. I'm sure you'll hear unicorn podcasts in the near future. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom, um, and I help um, take care of all the family members that need taking care of, and my interest in the paranormal began at a very young age, experiences, and etc. Um, now I'm researching and um, I guess learning about my spiritual interests um, in kind of Pagani nature, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Um, so I, I live very close to earth and to spirit right now as much as I can. Um, and so I guess paranormal just kind of finds me, I guess, is the best way to put it. Right. So you, you're kind of trying to spiritually find yourself and find your path and, and you're pretty you're pretty well into it. I mean, you've done a lot of uh, a lot of things that the listeners to this podcast, I think, would be interested in if they're not already aware of them from either your social media or my social media uh, as a distiller out there. Um, but you do a lot of uh, uh, jewel work. You do a lot of uh, or gemstone work. I don't know what you want. What do you call crystal work? I, I, I work with crystals. I am learning about crystal healing and crystal cr- using crystals intentionally. Um, wrapping crystals with metals that are going to complement them and things of that nature. Um, you do a lot of tarot. I do well. do tarot, yes. Yeah, and you even you even do uh, personalized readings for people as well. Yes, right? I do. Yes. So you've always been you've always been very um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for intuitive intuitive about those sort of things. So intuitive and maybe empath. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, all the way down to. Uh, uh, so one of our, <clears throat> one of my past out times is uh, is in history, and along with that history comes identifying grave sites and things of that nature. And one of the ways that we've done that in the past uh, that I learned from uh, a close friend of ours, uh, Richard Dixon, is to use dowsing or water witching to find old graves that are unmarked. And uh, people can either do that or they can't do it. And Kim was able to do it immediately when she started. So uh, with no practice or anything of that nature, but just intuitively, she knew how to do that sort of thing. So. Uh, she's been an excellent partner for someone like me to be able to delve more into my own spirituality or in this instance, be able to record this podcast and uh, put our experiences out there collectively together as a, a team. Uh, because I think if any one person were to say the shit that we're about to get into this evening, uh, there are a lot of people, even within the paranormal 14 supernatural community that would call it, I think the word they use is woo. I believe or, that's the word. It's fantastical. It 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 reads like a damn sci-fi novel. It really does. Because if you weren't here and you did not experience it, it's it's exactly as it sounds. But right. it's it's recorded between us and several of our neighbors. And the neighbors, mind you, are farmers they're old-time farmers they they're salt of the earth people they're not people that get excited about things like that they're not people they don't even to my knowledge they don't they don't go to church they're not particularly religious uh i'm not sure that those sort of uh matters of the supernatural or the 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 beyond uh affect them in any way shape or form in their daily life unless they're going to a funeral or something of that nature where they may have to slow down and think about it but the point is the, the story We've told it to other people. We've told it to our friends before, people we've had at the farm, people who stayed at the farm in our little cabin and all that sort of stuff. And not to scare them, but just let them know that if something happens, hey, 
we've been through that, but we've never sat down and actually tried to work through a timeline of the story before. We've never went through the actual events before. I mean, as the events were happening, we talked about it and we discussed what may have been happening and what may have been causing it at the time, but there was no grand, like, get to the end of it and overview it and let's compare notes or anything like that. So that's that's really what you've been working on this week for this particular yes. podcast is getting those notes together. Um, and we're still, to be honest with everybody and as upfront with everybody's what we possibly can, we're still not entirely clear on the timeline because we didn't write any of these things down initially when they happened. And uh, looking back, it can be a little fuzzy. And to be honest with you, uh, some of the shit, like I've thought about this over the years, Kim, and I don't know if you ever have. I, we've never had this discussion that I know of. But some of this stuff was so weird and out of the ordinary that when you look back on it, you go, did that actually happen? Did it happen or did I imagine it? And then is it a shared hallucination? Right. You know, but there's yeah. other people who are involved as well, but they weren't talking to each other on a daily basis like we are. And they still know that it happened. They were still there. They right. were still a part of it. Exactly. It's just that in hindsight, it gets a little, it gets a little more fuzzy as you go. And you start going, well, that couldn't possibly have been a thing because it's so far off the baseline of reality that it doesn't make any sense for it to have actually have been a thing, if that makes for sense. For instance, you know, my dad was still alive when all of this happened. And when it first started happening and we told him about it, he was like, what you guys been into? Right. You know, right. and my dad, my dad for a very long time growing up, because like I said, the paranormal has always found me. I have always seen things until such a time as I needed to protect myself from the things that I was seeing. And then I shut it off until Alan and I started dating. And then I think because of what was happening here, it kind of forced that third eye that intuitive, that perceptive part of me open again to where I was open to experience. Yeah, whether you things. wanted it to or not. Yeah, it's like squeegee that fucker open, you know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So that being said, a uh, little, little background of the, the area where this happened at. We are in southern Indiana. We live alongside the old uh, Monon route, the new Albany and Salem Railroad route. Uh, that runs through Washington County, Indiana. And so uh, for any of you who are familiar with occult happenings or let's not even say occult happenings, let's say 14 happenings, uh, often Sasquatch sightings, UFO sightings, things of that nature, ghost sightings, for some reason there seems to be a correlation to railroad tracks. Um, I have a lot of theories on that. I do know that the, the, the distance, and Kim just looked up the distance shortly ago, it was four foot something, I can't remember. Four feet, eight and a half inches. Um, and basically what that is, is when railroad tracks were designed, um, they were designed to match the exact width of the wheel ruts in ancient Rome, um, Imperial Rome. So the width of Roman chariots. Right. And that was likely done to follow the old wheel pad, the old uh, trails that were already there in Britannia and in Rome as well, I would suspect. But uh, if you think about it, iron is also very closely tied to uh, the paranormal, both as a, uh, a protective sort of thing, but also as a potential antenna for the yeah, paranormal. Yeah, like a, con a conductor. Yeah, a conduit And, of and if you consider trains as they're running across, they spark. There's constant, there's constant energy moving through rails and what does the paranormal need to manifest and do things but energy right and the other thing that i'll add into this so the, the farm where this all happened at is literally literally right next to the railroad tracks 
The other part of this story that I don't know if this has any forbearance on it whatsoever or any forbearance whatsoever on any of my paranormal experiences throughout my life and my childhood, but my father has always had CB radios, ham radios, etc. The house has always looked like a radio station, so the electromagnetic activity in the atmosphere alone, uh, one might think, would be enough to draw something in, or at least to make it more visible in some way, shape, or form, or more... Uh, more able to interact in some way, shape, or form. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but that's one of my theories. Yes. Yes. All right. So we're going to try to get through this thing. Uh, we got some notes here with us, and I'm going to let Kim start it off because her memory tends to be a little bit better than mine. Uh, we are off by about a year on when we think things started uh, from one another, but that's okay. I think we can still make this work, and I think you'll still find it interesting. So before we dive into the meat and potatoes of it, there's like there's a few things that need to be addressed in the beginning. Like Alan said, it's a very rough timeline because there was a lot happening during that time. Um, as we had just started dating and all of that good stuff. And there was also some, um, personal issues going on around the farm that could or could not emotionally have charged a situation to as well in that Alan's mom began, um, she had retired from Kimball's because um, she she had her, a back injury she had she, a back she, injury she, yes and um, as such with all things um, that happened that way she found painkillers and antidepressants and began mixing the two and it was causing a lot of problems not just with her physically her mind um, well and everyone else emotionally as well yes. so and I do think that that fed a lot into that and there are there are uh, in the in what we've written down, there are instances of her experiencing things, and there's also a little <clears throat> there's a little self doubt from other people sometimes at that time when she said certain things because we didn't know for sure what the circumstances of all of that were. So um, I don't know if if there are any more are there any more things that we want to address before we get into this because I I don't think so. We do have her permission to share that part of right. this. We did ask before we went there because it is very personal and it is something that she battles every day to stay right for the right. rest of us you know so the long and short of it is guys sit back and enjoy uh it's going to be a hell of a show and uh we'll be right back all right back again so what we're going to do in this segment is as we mentioned earlier uh, we sat down and we made some notes. And again, the timeline's not perfect, doesn't have to be. But what we're going to have to do to get through this is I'm going to let Kim read through her notes. And as we go through these notes, uh, I'm going to comment on things and Kim can throw in things. And maybe these notes will even spur some memories that we'd forgotten about or some experiences that we'd forgotten about. Because as we were writing these notes, uh, we both continued to remember things that happened at the time that we had forgotten about. So, uh, Kim, if you would, I'll let you go ahead and get started on all this uh, weird stuff. Okay, so as I've said before, or as Alan said before, this all began right after we started dating. So, we began dating in like March of 2006, thereabouts. Um, so, late that summer and into early that fall, I was in the process of moving back to Pekin um, from Bloomington. And so we had been 
going back and forth to my apartment to pack things and bring little things home so that there wasn't as much to pile into a U-Haul and all of that stuff. Well, one weekend we went up and early the next morning, and I mean, when I say early the next morning, I'm talking, we weren't even awake yet. We got a phone call from Alan's mom that we needed to hum come home and help catch the puppy. They had a little beagle pup, female. She and the other dog had been out running that night, the older dog. Um, and the older dog came home overnight, but the, the younger dog, the female, did not come home until... And both of these are, are beagle dogs, by the way, just so everybody knows. So it's in their nature to run. Now, the uh, the older dog was a male, and he was fixed, and he was a little bit more... He, he would wander the farm, but he didn't wander off far. But now this little female that came along, she kind of, you know, he'd follow her around and she kind of ran him to death all over the place all the time. So it wasn't, wasn't out of the ordinary that they might disappear for a little while, but it was strange for one of them to show up without the other. Yes. And um, his mom came home and, or his mom called us and said, hey, I need you guys to come home and catch the puppy she's been cut up by something and i have to take her to the vet well when she let her in that night she came in and then immediately went and hid under absolutely every small piece of furniture that she could find because she had been attacked by something and they couldn't coax her out they tried to coax her out my my dad is really good with dogs uh i'd say his best friends in the world have always been dogs to some extent and the fact that my dad couldn't get her to come out uh said something for whatever trauma that she had been through and so we made the hour and a half trip back home um, and we were having to move furniture around to catch the puppy. And I say puppy, she was probably only six months old when this happened. So she was still fairly young, probably had just had her first heat cycle. Um, just to give context that we're not saying that this is a paranormal situation. It is a weird situation that started everything it could have been a coyote that attacked her and gashed her across her forehead because she was in heat well it was a it was a weird situation so first of all because she was tore up from head to toe but whatever had tore her up had not bothered to try to go for any kind of death blow whatsoever it had just literally left giant gashes in her and i've hunted you know a good majority of my life and i've seen the kind of damage can be done to dogs and if you remember when we talked to the vet the vet said I don't know what did this. Right. It doesn't look like dog. It doesn't look like raccoon. Right. It doesn't look canine. It doesn't look like possum. So even the vet was... He was confused. And he's, again, we live in a small southern Indiana town. And all the vets are old country vets. And that's... <laughs> that they, they know these things. You know, they've right. seen everything. That, that particular vet had definitely seen anything and everything that could have been seen. You know, he's like the old uh, the old country doctor that delivered, you know, every every child that you know for four generations. You know, he's going to know one way or the other if that was legit or not, if there was something that, that should have caused that in our woods. Um, anyway, sorry, go ahead. I that's fine. That's fine. Um, so we got her fixed up and, you know, she, this had happened maybe it was twice with Dora before, or not Dora, excuse me, Ginger, before we stopped letting her out at night, right? Yeah, it, it happened the time that we were in Bloomington and it happened again not two months later, I think. It wasn't very long in between and she was tore up just as bad the second time. As a matter of fact, the second time, if you remember her ear, she had a, an actual, it had split her ear. Right. Um, down the middle, whatever it was. Now, the weird thing is uh, the old dog, 
uh, and he was smart. He was woods wise. He was always out there in the woods with me and doing, and you know, going hunting. And he or wasn't foraging. really scared of anything. Yeah, like we we seen him kill a full grown raccoon with just his paw. Roll a coyote <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But he would come home and and he wouldn't have a mark on him. Uh, but he also wouldn't have any blood on him. So and as bloodied up as what she was. And again, the vet said it wasn't canine in nature. As bloodied up as what the little dog was, uh, even if it was canine in nature, the older dog, the male dog, would have had blood all over him, and he never had any blood on him. Also, when he came home, he was terrified. He would, he would hit the door. Yeah, he would literally jump at the door and hit the door as hard as he could, trying to get our attention to let him in. He was terrified, and he would be shaking all over when he came in. So. And then he would go crawl in bed with Dale and not move until daylight. Right, right. So, and that's that's what kind of kicked all of it off. That's when, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not. I've been. I've hunted a lot of my life, and I've been in the woods my whole life. And uh, those woods in particular, I know like the back of my hand. I mean, I literally know the exact geography of everything there. I know everything that's in those woods. I know everything that's ever been in those woods. <laughs> you know, for the most part, and during my lifetime, anyways. So I went looking for things, and I never found anything. I never could find where she was attacked at. Never could find what actually got after her, what caused it, whatever. You know, and granted, that's how most of this plays out. Some of these things there could be natural explanations for, although there are usually signs if there are natural explanations. There were no signs of a natural explanation to explain anything that happened to this poor little dog. So, yes. Um, that being said, I think that probably kind of ties the dog thing up. Uh, right. Well, sort of, because okay. then we move on to the things that started happening inside the house. Mm -hmm. So shortly after that, the dog started reacting to things. Well, let me, I, I do want to preface this, right? Because of the, the times that we live in, right? Okay. So my grandfather used to make a joke. My, my grandfather had some Native American blood himself. And he used to make the joke that he hoped, <laughs> he hoped that it would snow asshole deep to a tall Indian. And then he would make jokes about Native American ghosts walking around the property and stuff. And it's not out of the question. The Shawnee and the Delaware were here. The Adina and the Hopewell were here. Uh, we found a bifacial drill on the property. We found several old hunting uh, spots where we found what was left of campfires, etc. So there was some Native American lore around the farm growing up. My dad's a little bit of a jokester. He's got a little bit of Loki in him, as it were. And so he would always make this joke, correct? And he did it in front of you, right, and I didn't right. know how you were going to take it the yeah. first time. But. Well, and it's fine. So what the do the dogs would start reacting to things that nobody else could see and i mean when i say react they would watch something literally move from one end of the house to the other and you could watch their heads track it they would start growling that low deep guttural kind of warning growl and booger barking so it, for people that don't know what booger barking is it's a, it's a low wolf that dogs do it's short when they're scared of something but they don't want to let on that they're scared of something they would do that and that's when dale would make this joke right he would he made the joke and he'd done this my whole life but uh he he would start messing with the dogs and again he he my dad has a very real connection with dogs in a way that a lot of people don't i think but he would talk about the indian walking through the living room the native american walking through the living room right and uh the dogs would pick up on that pretty easily um, which is, is fine because like, you know, right now, if we were to, the two dogs are in our, uh, recording studio slash bedroom right now. Uh, if we were to make a joke about someone being here, for example, and knock on something, the dogs would be right on top of it. Uh, the same thing was true when my dad would say, do you see that, that tall Indian walk through the living room? Right. Except the thing is they wouldn't just initially bark and react to it. 
they would track something through the living room, down the hallway from my old bedroom, through the living room and through the kitchen, uh, both visually and sometimes getting up and going after it and barking at it. Like, they wouldn't follow, like, all the way to the end of wherever it was it would stop. They would stop, like, just at, like, the threshold of the kitchen and the living room. Right, 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 right. They and watch. run up on it. Exactly. But they were, they were clearly picking up on something that we couldn't see. And that's when things started to get really super strange. And, of course, animals, dogs, and cats tend to be conduits as well. Uh, or not necessarily conduits, but, you know, I think in, in the movie Constantine explains it really well with cats. They're half in and half out. Half in out. and half out. They can see and perceive more. And, I mean, think about it. Dogs' senses are heightened. All of their senses. senses. Their eyesight, their, their hearing, their smell. All of it is heightened. They can perceive things that we cannot on a different frequency. Their hearing is a different frequency than what ours is. Right. So that plays into it. But they were alerting in such a way that there was, for me, having grown up with beagle dogs in particular, there was no way that they weren't experiencing or seeing or feeling or hearing or smelling something. something. Whether or not that something was what my dad was saying it was, which was completely 1000% just, you know, a joke, pulling our legs and all that stuff. Uh, or it was something pretending to be right. that thing. Right. 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 And then even so much so as shortly after that, we're, um, well, I'm looking at my notes. Sorry. Well, the first thing that I remember after that, and I'll is just the rocking chair, yeah, the rocking chair. Um, so we had an old rocking chair that had been my great grandparents. Uh, then it was my grandparents. And it's actually sitting in our living room now it's... and it has not done what it's doing. <laughs> if it now. does what it did then I'm going to take it and put it outside somewhere. Uh, <laughs> But the, that's the first thing that I remember is is even even on the same night that one of these you know ghost jokes was made, uh, the rocking chair just randomly started rocking back and forth. It was very much like you know old school like '80s unsolved mysteries or '90s siding show, right? Like you know almost almost produced in a way, right? Like something made it happen. But we were all but it was also sitting down. Yeah, too. it was. It wasn't like a little rock. It was, it was like, a very noticeable, hey, I just sat down in this chair and I'm in here with you. This is Alan Bishop of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Are you interested in distilled spirits, the production thereof, tastings, well, let me tell you about a cooperative group of some of my best friends and favorite podcasters in the industry, the Bar Cart Co-op. The Bar Cart Co-op is made up of several unique spirits-based content creators. Do you love music? The stories behind the music? How about the way that music influences the people who craft your favorite independent spirits? Be sure to check out Kevin Rose and Drew Crawley with special guests on the Bourbon Turntable. Are craft spirits reviews good laughs and big personalities your thing check out my brothers patrick and mike on my whiskey den every monday at nine o'clock eastern patrick and mike bring in the best of craft spirits review them and have a great time on their show what a better way to follow up the shittiest first day of the week anyways do deep dives into distilling methodology with a diverse group of distillers the world over aimed at both home and legal distillers interest you then check out my other show with my co-host Christy Atkinson, Distillers Talk, available wherever you get your podcasts. How about Victorian-era cocktails? My brother Brian Cushing, the Victorian man, has you covered. 
over on YouTube via the Victorian Barroom. For more information, check out barcartcoop.com. And we're all watching TV. So we're, we're all sitting there and nowhere near this chair. None of the animals are near this chair. The cat is not near the chair. In fact, I think the cat was eating my arm at the time. I'm not sure. <laughs> that little cat was Satan. Right. Um, but yeah, we were Everybody all just... Every, everybody knows that me, Kim, we all, and Dad, All four of us stopped and looked at it. it. And when we commented on it, it, it stopped. stopped. It quit what it was doing. Um, the next weird thing that happened after that, as far as I remember, was the doorknob and the door of Mom and Dad's bedroom. Now, Mom and Dad's house is uh, is a manufactured home. A uh, uh, that's a, that's a fancy way of saying double wide. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and it was it was fairly new at the time, um, and it was it was level. And now, granted, houses have problems, right? And this is probably the most common thing you ever hear about a haunting or poltergeist or anything like this. But and again, completely transparent. This house is on top of a hill, right? A great big tall hill, and so if anything could, it could erosion could have happened and could have made things screwy, wonky, whatever. Right. But in this situation, it was like Halloween that, that fall. It was, yeah, yeah, it was Halloween night. We were setting up listening to music, and I, because that was the time of MySpace, and YouTube was just getting started. So we were listening to music on the computer, and I had got up from the computer, which was, you would have to see how the, the house is set up. But I have walked around the... Uh, if you heard a weird growl, that was our dog on the bed. I apologize. <laughs> okay, so I was walking around the um, island, the bar, from between the kitchen and the dining room. That would the... be uh, Hoosier slang for counter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the <laughs> the bar between the kitchen and the dining room, and to get a drink of water. And as I turned back around. Um, to face the opposite wall, which would have been where the bedroom, Alan's parents' bedroom door was, I watched the doorknob turn, and I told Alan, I was like, the doorknob's turning. I, was, I, th I thought Dale was getting up, is what I thought. Maybe one of the dogs wanted out or something. Anyway, I watched this doorknob turn, and if you know the anatomy of how this house works, once that doorknob turns, you have to like really bear into it to get it to actually turn and pop. The right, door wasn't, that, was like at a square. It's that, well, it's that Luan shit from being, you know, a, a cheaper house. You know, the door swells over time and you have to actually push on the door. To, every door in a house is like Right, that, so. and you, you had to turn it and the doorknob would actually pop once it was all the way out of the frame so that you could, or once the bolt was all the way out of the frame and you could open it. So it turned, 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 and then it popped, and the door opened like eight inches. And I could hear Dale snoring behind the door, and I could hear both of the dogs snoring behind the door, but nobody ever came out of the door. <laughs> right, and it wasn't the only time that that happened. I believe that happened another time as Right, well. later on in the story, right before the, the culmination of everything, and, and I, say, I say the culmination of the story, little things still happen even to this day. That's why we say it's kind of a convoluted timeline because it there was a lot all at once and then there's little things throughout history. Right, but those those little things typically, and again, knock on wood, and I'm not going to do it like you did a while ago, uh, but knock on wood, for the most part, they don't happen to us and there's a rationale and a reason for that. Right. As I said in the uh, the sort of foreground of this being a trickster story, so... 
Um, what what's next on the the list? The there, next Kim? on the list is, let's see. Um, shortly after that, we began, and probably about. Mm, I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna give dates because it's well, getting what, weird. What, what's rough time frame on this? Because it, so it would have started pro shortly after we started dating. So 2006 or 2007, depending on you know where we meet in the middle on the timeline because right. it, a lot was happening all at once and i say that because i was trying to move home we had the stuff going on with your mom etc right, right 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 um but i tend to think that so in my in my brain and this is just just to uh, illuminate the audience to the differences in our recollection so in in my recollection i tend to think of this as a uh a 2007 through 2009 is when I think of like the dog thing was 2007. Right. Maybe the first one was, and then maybe that's where we're, we're convoluted. It doesn't matter one way or the other. It, it's hard to say, because like I said, a lot was happening, and I can't remember if it was the summer fall of 2006 that I moved home or if it was right. the summer fall of 2007 right. because again a lot was happening and either way ultimately it doesn't matter it's just uh just wanted people to have some idea of what right happened. exactly so um so anyway after uh, after the incident with the dining room um the bedroom door popping open um we began well you heard because it was shortly after I left you heard something run across the roof. So tell us about that. Yeah. So this was, uh, this was a weird thing. So I, obviously I've always been interested in, in all these sort of 14 things, these strange things that happen to people sometimes. And so I, I was an avid reader at that time of the daily grill and a lot of different paranormal news, uh, 14 news, uh, occult news, things of that nature. And constantly researching these things. And this was the first weird thing that kind of struck me. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I do believe that this actually happened during the time of uh, Monster Quest. Yeah. I think. I think we were watching Monster Quest. And this is when I first picked up on, and this was in the wintertime. There was snow on the ground. Yeah. We were sitting in the living room. Me, Mom, Dad, and Kim were watching, I believe, Monster Quest, or we had just watched it, or maybe it was a day or two after watching it. And maybe it was an episode about uh, little people or the fae people. I don't know. I'd have to go back through Monster Quest and see what it was. Uh, but we had started talking about that, and I was talking about some of the local Native American legends of uh, what the Cherokee down in Tennessee would have called the Moon-Eyed People. There is a, a name for that here in southern Indiana, which slips my mind at the moment. Uh, but I was talking about that and about them being tricksters, as we talked about earlier in the episode. Um, and no sooner than I had explained all of these things, legitimately, we hear what sounds like a small... By, it sounded like a kid running across the roof of the house. Almost cartoonish, though. Yeah, yeah, it was over-exaggerated. It was, and it was, it was very much like it was meant for us to hear it. We literally, uh, my dad stopped the TV. We all stopped. We all looked at each other and we said, what the hell was that? And it was uh, on a... I remember what we were watching. It was the episode about that alien attack in Kentucky. In Kentucky, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 right. Um, so we paused... Because you said, I'm not going out there and looking. <laughs> I will. We paused the TV. Uh, we all sat there and we stared at each other for a little while. Uh, there was snow on the ground. This had been like November, December, something right. like that. Maybe January even. I don't remember. Um, nonetheless, uh, after sitting there for a while, me like, what the hell was that? And everybody kind of talking about it. Uh, I finally got up the gumption to get my 16 gauge I inherited from my grandfather, which I 
I kind of keep loaded with alternate alternating uh, shots, which you'll hear about here momentarily. Uh, you know, typically a bird shot, then a buck shot, and then a slug. Uh, and I went outside to investigate, and there's no no tracks on the ground in the snow, fresh snow, uh, anywhere around the house. I walked all the way around the house at the time. The wood stove was on the very back side of the house next to the neighbor's property. I uh, walked all the way down there, which is where it sounded like the footsteps stopped. There was nothing. And let me be honest with you, because I am a little bit of a wuss. I was at least 25 feet away from the edge of the roof line because the only thing I could think of was and nowadays it's not so funny but you hear these stories of like dogman and things like that where they reach down and they touch somebody and all that stuff uh, even then in my brain I was thinking like as danger I Will off, Robinson danger <laughs> as I walked off the porch I, was, I didn't walk off the porch I ran off the porch I'm like you're not getting a chance right so 20 feet away walking around the house nothing no footprints that I can see uh, the house is halfway up a hill you stand on top of the hill, even 20 feet up the hill, you can see the top of the roof line. There's no footprints up there. There's no foot, foot, footprints on the ground. There's no sign that anything happened. The only footprints in the snow are my own and those going to the wood stove at the time, right? Now that tells me there's four people in the house. We all heard this. We all very clearly heard this. It was intended that we would hear this. So my brain is on overdrive going, all right, I don't know what the hell's happening right now but very clearly something not only scary, but potentially legitimately uh, not of this world is happening, right? So there's there's some equal level of both fear and fascination happening when I come back into the house. And that night, um, of course, after that incident, um, we I made him walk me out. I would not walk myself out at that point. <laughs> so he walked me out and as I'm driving down the hill I'm, I'm not looking in the rear view because I don't want to see what's behind me <laughs> you know um, get home go to bed and I go to work the next day and at like probably 7 8 o'clock in the morning the, when I first got to work at the time you were working for one of, and we won't say the company but you were working for one of the big box stores for uh, hardware and stuff like that and at the time I was working full-time on the farm and I think that my my working full-time at the farm and sometimes literally going for weeks without seeing anyone other than you and mom and dad I think that that may have played a part in all this too and it this thing have, touching yeah. base um kind of bringing you back to ground level maybe um but you called me like no sooner than I got to work and you asked me, um, did you put wood in the stove before you left? Cause you walked me out on the porch, watched me get in the car and then you went back in the house. Um, right. And, and, and what we're talking about there, just so the audience knows as well, cause we have to paint a picture for everybody cause they're listening and they don't know this, this history. Right. So at the time I was running two greenhouses uh, they were 20 by four, one was 20 by 48, one was 20 by 35, I think. Uh, and they had indoor outdoor furnaces in them. We were also buying wood from a friend of my father's who makes pallets for a living. So these were oak cutoffs. So they're anywhere between four by four, uh, size dimension wise and up to probably eight by four, maybe even 10 or 12 by four sometimes, but they're, they were square. They're square. They yeah. They're, they're perfectly level. They're square. They're log cutoffs. We could buy them for cheap by the uh, by the triaxle load and get them in and use them to heat the greenhouse where we were growing tomatoes during the winter time uh, here in southern Indiana. Um, so, sorry. It's okay. 
That was Penny sneezing. Yes, we have an audience <laughs> member on top of the dog. Everybody in the family is now in our tiny cracker box room. <laughs> uh, the two dogs, me and Kim, and our daughter Penny, who is who has tucked herself comfortably into the bed to listen to the story that mommy and daddy has never told her. So, anyway. So he calls me and he says, did you put wood in the greenhouse? Did you get out of the car and go put wood in the greenhouse before you left? And I said, no, why? He said, well, neither did mom and dad. And when I got up this morning. It wasn't in the morning. I went out there that night. Oh, that night? Yes, because I always had to check them before I went to bed because they would only only burn for about, if you filled the stove all the way up, it would burn for about six hours. Mm -hmm. So you were only ever going to get six hours of sleep at any one point in time in the wintertime running these greenhouses. Right. So the minute you left... I would have went down and checked those greenhouses. And I remember this very vi- and I can comment on this. I remember this very vividly. And I did call you the next morning. I told you, did you go put wood on the stove last night? You said no. So well, that's interesting because neither did mom and dad and neither did I. Uh, and it may have been like an hour after you left. Right. right. There was some time in between. I went back in and played on the computer or whatever. So I, I, either way, I walked outside to put wood on the stove as I did every night because, again, this is a recurring thing. Uh, it may even pop up later in the story. I don't know, uh, potentially. But I had went out to both the greenhouses. We were running both of them at the time, I do believe. And now bear in mind that I lost track of time. Me and Kim are hanging out. I had already started distilling at the time, but... Uh, I wasn't drinking at the time, and if you remember, at that time, I didn't drink, like, at all, period, because I was too busy on the farm. Uh, But the other part of that is that, you know, you lose track of time. You're hanging out with your loved ones. You're hanging out with your mom and your dad. You're hanging out with your girlfriend, potentially your future wife. Uh, So I would lose track of time. And by the time I went out to check that greenhouse, maybe there was an hour in between Kim leaving, and and maybe there was two or three hours. I I may have even fallen asleep. I honestly don't remember. Here's what I do remember is I went out to the greenhouses. I went into the first greenhouse. I was like, it's surprisingly warm in here, uh, considering how long it's been since we checked the stove. Again, the stove only running for six hours at a time. Uh, So walk back to the very back where the stove was, uh, open the stove up. I look in the stove and there is literally a perfect pyramid of this stacked block dimensional wood that looks like the fire has just been started. Like the wood is still completely unburnt other than where the fire has been started at. Now that's a little freaky to begin with. So I close the greenhouse up. I walk down to the other greenhouse. I open up the door. Surprisingly, it's warm as well. I walk back to the stove. The same thing is true of that greenhouse. Now here's something that just popped up in my head that I bet you don't remember. And again, could be a natural explanation for this. There could not be. Do you remember we had just put plastic on those greenhouses that year? And not shortly after this whole experience, I went out there one morning and it was, there was a, a giant double... hole through the double uh, plastic layer. Yeah. So this was a double uh, layer of six mil greenhouse plastic that was inflatable. And we had literally not two or three months before put new plastic on it. And I walked out, and there was a hole, a perfect hole at baseboard level. And it was a big hole. Like, it, it, yeah, it took a, a lot of patch. Like, didn't we take, like, another piece of plastic and patch it? Yeah, that's the only way we could patch it. And I'd forgotten about that. But, yeah, and, and that could have been. It was very close to where the pump was, too, that if could, I remember yes, correctly. That could have been uh, an animal, potentially. But given the circumstances of everything else that was happening, it just added to the weirdness of the whole thing. Right. right? And it so. wasn't like. It was. At ground level, just above the baseboard, like the way these greenhouses, they're hoop houses. So it was just between like the bend of the hoop and the baseboard of the 
the bottom like two by sixes that held the the posts up that we stapled to. Right, right. Or that the the wiggle wire tracks. So now the other thing that starts happening at this point, if if the audience remembers from sort of the prelude to this episode, uh, we talked about the brownies in uh, England and the British Isles. So my brain immediately now bear in mind we've heard this thing run across the roof and there was a second instance of it uh that that kim will be back in here momentarily she had to go take care of something uh there was a second instance of that at least one other instance of it my brain starts going into this weird like are these brownies right is there is this a, a little house trickster that wants something out of us that we take care of whatever uh, and being in the Celtic lore, that was really the first thing that drew me into the occult or into the esoteric, not the occult, but the esoteric sort of belief system uh, was Celtic lore. Uh, is this something that wants something out of us? So, you know, it's done a favor for me now. Should I then provide it a favor? And so Kim and I start talking and we start leaving milk and honey, at least on Halloween and, and other nights of the year as well, uh, whenever we feel like it's warranted to uh, to sort of as a thanks to this thing, whatever this thing is. Okay, and as we were talking about prior to the Browning conversation, um, and something that I remembered just now was sometime between my having left and his having go going out to check the greenhouses and to check the wood stoves and whatnot his mom had went outside to smoke and this is one of those situations where if we had not all experienced everything all together at the same time and taken everything into account again given her history we would have questioned it um but she had seen something run around the vehicles so the way the driveway comes it comes right up next to the house um right up next to the ramp because again his mom has problems getting around so there's a ramp there that she uses and her vehicle pulls right up next to it and she saw something she said it was small and it was fast but it was on two legs and it ran around the vehicles like towards the greenhouse and she told us this after the fact right 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 and I that and this is again where it's it's hard to remember. So I that particular instance with the greenhouses and all of that stuff, um, I don't. There wasn't any snow on the ground at that time that I remember. So there was no tracks to be found right. for that. Right. It's just my mom saying what she says, and at the time it has to be taken with a grain of salt because you're never really sure exactly what her state of mind is at the time. Uh, but nonetheless, given everything else that was happening at that time. It certainly made it a little bit weird. This is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest. Fall's in the air. The leaves are changing. The night's getting a little longer. That only means one thing to me. It's apple brandy season. Be on the lookout for our brand new Spirits of French Lick, Bottled and Bond Old Clifty, Hoosier style apple brandy made from fresh pressed Michigan apples and matured in both 53 gallon number two charred new American oak barrels as well as 68 gallon hogshead barrels never chill filtered and always double pot distilled named for the legendary pre-prohibition distillery north of Campbellsburg Indiana remember brandy's just distilled wine but it's also bourbon's sexier older sister please drink responsibly
Okay, so that brings us to um, the winter and spring of the following year. So depending on which timeline you're going with, if we're a year ahead from where I think we're at, that's the winter and spring of 2008. If we're on my timeline, that's winter and spring of 2007. Again, all this happened over the span of a couple of years and it was a lot. So that makes it very hard to track the timeline. Um, so that winter and spring, we started getting multiple sightings of strange animals, not normally native to or even known in this area um, from the neighbors, from ourselves. And I, now most of the animal sightings I was not present for. I was present for the after the fact but Alan, you can talk about those sightings. Right. So, and I don't, I don't remember the exact timeline on these things, but there were, and there were uh, several strange things that happened, but, um, so people started reporting a, uh, animals being attacked. There were, there were horses attacked, for example, on a road, not too far from here. And that was something we didn't even have in our notes. I just popped back in my head. Uh, looked like a big cat attacked them. Uh, the neighbor's wife, who we'll, we'll talk about this neighbor in particular, again, the salt of the earth gentleman that we mentioned earlier, yeah. he saw, or she saw during the day, a, uh, she called, they called me and they, at the time I was getting straw from them from the loft of their barn. And, and he said, Hey, you need to be careful when you go up in the barn because my wife saw a cougar come out from the barn, just walk down the steps and walk out the front door of the barn, which is kind of a weird thing. Now, we are in the historic mountain lion territory, so it's not that out of place, and mountain lions, male mountain lions particularly, and we even looked into this, this is why I even know this, but male mountain lions have like a hundred mile radius that they'll Range, journey through, yeah. right? Looking for um, But you're, you're starting to hear all these weird stories about like what they called the Pekin Panther, a black cougar, right? And this is something that goes back to a prank that was pulled out on a, a local newspaper. Not even a prank, but the uh, the editor for a local newspaper for years created this character he called the Pekin Panther. And right. He did a bunch of other articles like the world's largest mushroom found in Pekin, Indiana, and yeah. stuff like that, right? Uh, so it's almost as though whatever this thing is, is again, it's a trickster. It's trying to, it's trying to be whatever you want it to be. But, uh, for example, we took uh, the dogs for a walk, me and my mom and my dad. The, actually, the last walk I remember with my mom before her back got so bad that she couldn't walk, uh, we, we took the dogs for a walk and had them on leashes. And as we came up out of this dip on the farm and came up on top of another hill, we see a large black cat. The dogs see it, too. They bark at it. They want to go after it. We've got them on leashes. They can't go after it. It kind of runs and slinks along the backfield. The hay was up. We really had no... Uh, point of reference as far as what size this cat really was, but it was a very large black cat. Now, something else that weird that happened at this time that's not in our notes I'm going to mention too is um, at the time, uh, there was a, uh, a train uh, parked in front of our house. Uh, they literally were in the process of shutting down these tracks uh, and we were having a lot of uh, animals, uh, specifically chickens that were attacked and things like that. This may even go back to the dogs. Uh, and this is maybe either its own separate thing or a physical manifestation of what we're talking about. But there were very large, and I'm going to call them domestic cats. Yeah, they were, they looked like Maine Coons, but bigger. They were big, black, fluffy domestic cats. I mean, were, like, we're talking. Like the size of a beagle dog. 30 easily. pound cats. 30, 40 easy. pounds, easy. 
to, and and I know these were legit like physical entities because I shot two of them. Because it was after our chickens. And I didn't have a choice, and I had to get rid of them. But this is all happening at the same time. So this is, weird things are happening here that are almost. They're too weird to be coincidental that you would have these large Maine Coon-style cats showing up at the same time that people were reporting uh, cougars. And it wasn't just one. It was several of them. Right. Like, were like a pride, yes. almost, yeah. of these giant freaking right. cats. But there's no doubt that you, you're not going to mistake one of those, despite what they are, for a cougar, right. for example. Right. Right. Um, so all that's happening kind of at the same time. Uh, you're hearing stories about large cats around Pekin in general, uh, within 10 miles of Pekin pretty easily. Pekin's a little town where we live at. Uh, so this is all kind of happening at the same time. It's all sort of leading towards, you know, this weird thing being implanted, at least in my mind. And again, bear in mind that I hunt a lot, uh, squirrels and rabbits at the time. I also did a lot of ginseng digging and ginseng cultivating at the time. Spent a lot of time in the woods. Yes. You knew what was there and what wasn't there. Yes, exactly. And, and so this is where things take a very hard left turn, I think, if I remember right from yeah. the notes. And I'll let you go ahead. So then the next instance is, uh, it's like noon and I'm at work and I get another phone call and usually because I know number one that his mom couldn't have got to him on the farm if he had gotten hurt or he wouldn't have been able to get to her to let her know that he was hurt anytime I get a phone call from the farm at that time I answer the phone because I don't know if I need to go look or I need to go send somebody to look to make sure he's okay because we're talking you know probably 15 acres of farm and then another 25 30 of woods where at the time he didn't have a cell phone i hadn't bullied him into a cell phone yet so you know i'd still be living in a tree if we weren't married <laughs> right um so i didn't know you know if something was wrong if i needed to send somebody to investigate or whatever so i always answered whenever i got a phone call from them even if i was at work and he calls me and he says, you're not going to believe this. And I said, okay, what? And he goes, I'm outside and I think you were like in the raspberries or something. Or, or you were outside doing something. This is still like winter, spring. So you were either getting the farm ready for or starting to harvest like the first crops or something. And you said to me, um, I was in the raspberries or something to of that nature and I look towards the neighbor's fence because we're surrounded on all sides by cattle farmers and um, pasture land or even wildlife plots so you you said I look over towards the neighbor's fence and I see a thing staring back at me and I said okay what sort of thing he's like you're not gonna believe me when I tell you this but it looked like an ape. Right. And this is this is one of those things that gets dropped out of the story whenever Kim and I tell people the story because it's almost so fantastical. Like, oh, you saw fucking Big Sasquatch. Foot. Right. You know, the Ohio Grassman, whatever you want to say, right? And so, you... and if you know your Bigfoot-ology, Grassman is kind of a smaller version of Bigfoot that comes out of Ohio. Right. I think they're all the same thing, but we'll, we can get into that in a future episode. But whatever this thing was, this was, uh, this was, yeah, it was early spring. Leaves were kind of off the trees, the neighbor's farm, the fence line. There's a lot of small brushy stuff at the time growing up there. 
whatever this thing was, I could see, uh, and I wasn't in the raspberries, I initially saw it, I remember this, I was in the house and I saw it out the blinds on the back side of the house. And I went outside to investigate, and when I went out there, I walked all the way over to the fence, there was nothing there, I came back, I saw it again. It was almost like it was messing with me. Now, here's the weird thing about Didn't it. Didn't it grunt at you or something it to did. let you know that, it yes, did. you were seeing it? It very much grunted at me in the same way that uh, a gorilla at the zoo would grunt at you if you pissed it off, right? Um, but I very much remember this. I went outside. I walked all the way over to the fence, and there, and there was nothing. And I walked back to the house. I went back to the house. And I was on the computer at the time doing something. At the time, we ran a forum for uh, organic farmers and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyways, the long and short of it is that it seemed like it knew when I was watching and I went back outside and I went to work outside and when I went to work outside, I also noticed it out of my peripheral vision. Now it was always in such a place where it was obscured by whatever brush was there. Right. And, and you couldn't identify it one way or the other. And that's one of the stories through mythology that we learn is that they can camouflage or almost cloak themselves. Almost you like can the see them. You can see them sometimes, and sometimes you can't. If if you if they want you to see them, you can see them. Right. Right. right? Um, and then that brings us to the next stage of the story. Is we well, learned somewhere in here before we before we wherever you're going. And I don't have the notes in front of me, but I do want to mention this because I I know this is in the same kind of time period, and uh, I don't remember exactly when it was or why it was and all that stuff, but. Uh, there was a very strange thing that happened one night when I came home from your house from visiting you, mm-hmm. right? And I think that maybe what we're going to do here is we're going to make this a two-part episode because it's going to yeah. be very Because it's just so much so and we much, constantly yes. are remembering things. So one of the things that happened was one night I was at Kim's house and I left and I was coming home and coming down the driveway to the house where I grew up at, my parents' house that we've been talking about this whole time. Uh, I ran into, well, I came down the driveway in the truck and I was at the time listening to the radio. I get on this straightaway that's about a quarter mile long and I notice there are lights in front of me and I can't really identify what these lights are. And in this stretch of the driveway, there are no security lights. Right. Well, these were red lights. Right. Right. And as I'm driving up, I slow down substantially to see what's happening. And as I slow down and I come upon this thing... It looks like a small Cessna airplane. Now, right. this is something else I've dropped from the story telling other people. This is the first time I've ever told this part of the story. It looks like a small Cessna airplane without a cab. And as I get within about 20 feet of it, instead of it taking off like a regular airplane does, and why would there be an airplane in our driveway right. late at night? And we should also mention that this is also after they've like you said the the train there was a train stationary on the tracks but they had already decommissioned it such that the signal lights were completely out right now, so there's no red lights down there yes exactly well and these were in the driveway they weren't on the tracks right but as i come up on this thing instead of taking off as a cessna would needing a runway it literally goes straight up in the right. air and it takes off like a bolt of lightning and i still could not begin to tell you what in the hell that was. Alright guys, that's the uh, that's the end of part one of the Trickster episode of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please do me a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast. 
please tell your friends and your family about this podcast. Pass it around. We need your support for sure. This is something new for me, something new for Kim. This was Kim's first podcast. Uh, She's obviously going to be on episode number two. We're going to go even deeper into all the things that we went through. If you think that what you've heard so far is a little weird, episode two of this, part two of this particular trickster episode is going to take you so far beyond what you know about the reality that you live in that you can't even imagine. And bear in mind, and I would swear this right now in front of any court, any judge in the world, these things happened to us. They were legitimate. They were real things that happened to us. So please tune in for episode two. Uh, Also, be on the lookout. So we're currently on Anchor and Spotify. This coming week, we plan for this episode, episode two, to actually end up on all the platforms we can possibly end up on out there. We want wider distribution. Uh, This is super important to me as, uh, as a person. Uh, not just as the personality that you know from the distilling industry or anything like that, or even just from this podcast. It's super important to me as a person that people hear these things because I think there's a lot of people out there who are going through weird things that they're afraid to say to other people because it's going to sound like they're crazy. They're not crazy. There's weird things happening in this world. And as I said in episode number one, it's ramping up. It's ramping up for a reason, however. There's things happening in this world that are beyond your normal human comprehension, and you can apply whatever religious or spiritual rules to that that you want to, but we all know the world is not all right. I love y'all, and I'll catch you later.